This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. We'll be focusing on a section of scripture from Matthew chapter 25. If you're looking for the place in scripture where Jesus talks at length about last days and end times, a part of theology called eschatology, uh, that's Matthew 24 and 25. So we'll look at Matthew 25, beginning in verse 31. This will be the focus for our sermon. When the Son of Man comes in his glory... And all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, You who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. For I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When would we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for gathering us here around your word. We pray that you would speak to us through your word, that we would see through your word that you are good. And I pray that you would give us your Holy Spirit, fill us with your truth, and don't let anything I'm doing get in the way of the work of your spirit. In your name we pray, amen. In 2011... Time magazine said that Rob Bell, Pastor Rob Bell, was one of the top 100 most influential people in the world. Pastor Rob Bell was was leading a growing church in Michigan, and, 
and many people are watching his videos. I remember using some of his videos, his NUMA videos. He's a great teacher. Uh, he was just well-known all over the world. And in that same year, 2011, he also re- released his best-selling book, Love Wins. And the subtitle is, A Book About Heaven, Hell, and the Fate of Every Person Who Ever Lived. The basic premise of this book is that if you're a Christian, you no longer need to believe in eternal punishment. You no longer need to believe in judgment day. You no longer need to believe in the last day. Uh, In fact, he said, if you continue to believe in those teachings, that would lead to a toxic culture. That would lead to judgmentalism. It would lead to all sorts of problems in culture. And so he was advocating that we stop believing in the final judgment. And here's a quote from the book. It's been clearly communicated to many that this belief in hell as eternal conscious torment is a central truth of the Christian faith and to reject it is in essence to reject Jesus. This is misguided and toxic and ultimately subverts the contagious spread of Jesus' message of love, peace, forgiveness, and joy that our world desperately needs to hear. And so what he's saying here is, is if you would continue to to promote and believe God's final judgment, you're going to be promoting a toxic teaching that's going to take away this world's love, joy, peace, and forgiveness. And this became so popular that that Pastor Rob Bell, he actually started touring with with people like Oprah and and he started, uh, you know, he has a a large following on his podcast and, and people really have embraced it. Now, here's my question. It's been over 10 years since his book was published and many people have embraced Rob Bell's theology. But has it helped? As a society, we have kind of forgotten about God's final judgment, that God is ultimately the judge, that there is going to be a judgment day. We've kind of done away with that as a society. Has that made us less toxic as a society? Has it made us more open and more loving and more peace-loving and less violent, less angry and less judgmental? Has getting rid of hell really made a heaven on earth? Well, we're continuing our sermon series, Before You Lose Your Faith. And in this sermon series, we're, we're addressing some challenging subjects in the Christian faith that has caused quite a few people to deconstruct their faith pu- publicly, that many, maybe celebrity Christians, have walked away publicly from the, the faith. And, and one of the, the teachings that has led many people to question Christianity is this idea of eternal punishment, of hell, of judgment day. And if you just read the, the popular ex-Christian blogs out there, this is kind of on the top of the list of the reasons why people leave the Christian faith. And so we want to take this head on and answer this question. Why is it good for us to believe in God's final judgment, even hell? And to answer that question, we're going to go back to that Matthew 25 section. Again, this section of Scripture is is Jesus' largest section on talking about the last days and the end times. At the beginning of Matthew 24, he tells us the signs that we should expect as it gets closer to the last day. Wars, rumors of wars, the love of most growing cold. Uh, Then 
he goes on to tell a couple parables. The parables of the ten virgins, a, a parable that's about being ready for Jesus' second coming, that some people were ready and some people aren't for his coming. And then there's a parable of the talents, where we get the word talent from. And he talks about how we should be using our talents, actively serving people in God's name until he returns. And now you get to Matthew 25, verse 31, and this is Judgment Day. Jesus is teaching what will happen on Judgment Day. And so we look at verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. So let's just look at the obvious. The Son of Man. Who is the Son of Man? That's Jesus. That Jesus is going to sit on his throne and that Jesus is going to be the judge. Jesus, the one who went to the cross and from the cross said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus, the one who, who looked at the thief next to him on the cross and said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus, who, who judged the self-righteous religious leaders but welcomed the prostitutes and sinners. Jesus is going to be the judge. Not me, not you, not the Supreme Court, not social media, not politicians, not public behavior, not your neighbor, not your family. Jesus is going to be the final judge. And all nations will be brought before him. No one gets to skip out on this day. Everyone will finally be judged. And how will Jesus judge people? Here's what it says. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. So Jesus will separate people into two groups. And he's going to separate the, the righteous from the wicked, the believers from the unbelievers, the followers of Jesus, and those who are not. And it's not going to be difficult for him to discern which group people fall in. Uh, he compares it to a shepherd who looks out at his sheep and, and can separate sheep from goats. A professional shepherd looks at sheep and has no problem discerning what's a sheep and what's a goat. And so Jesus is going to have no problem discerning, difficulty discerning who's his followers and, who's, and who are not. Which is much different than how we judge people. So often we get it all wrong. So often we, we judge someone, we think we, we know who they are, we, we know what they believe, we know their character, and we get it all wrong. I got it all wrong with people like Bill Cosby. I remember growing up watching the, the, the Bill Cosby show, and I remember listening to the, the records of his stand-up comedy, and when the accusations came out of Bill Cosby, I didn't want to believe it because I didn't know the whole story. And so often we get it wrong when we judge character and faith, and who people are. I, I got it all wrong about people like Lance Armstrong, watching him win the, one Tour de France after another, and I thought, no way is there any corruption going on in his life, and then you find out that, that he was doping. And then on the other side, sometimes you make a judgment on someone, you, you, you see them, how they look, or how their record, or their background, or what they've done in their life, and, and you think you know what, who they are, and what they believe, and what they're about, but you don't know that Behind closed doors, they're calling out to God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And they're righteous before God. And you might look at that person and think, 
they're unrighteous, they're wicked, there must be an unbeliever. Look at who they are. Look at how they carry themselves. So often, we get the judgment wrong. But now with Jesus, he's going to have no difficulty discerning who's a follower and who's not, who's a sheep and who's a goat. And so he goes in that, to explain what it's going to be like for those who aren't his right, the, the followers of Jesus. Verse 34 says this. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. So God has this this kingdom and his plan since before the creation of the world was to bless his people. He's, He's like a father who's been saving up an inheritance preparing this inheritance that he can't wait to give to his children. And so God has been preparing this this wonderful plan where he's going to make heaven and earth united again, where bodies are going to be resurrected. And once again, we will dwell with God in peace and security He's got this plan where God's kingdom will finally come. We pray week after week in the Lord's prayer, let your kingdom come. Well, someday his kingdom will come down. He will renew this earth. He will resurrect our bodies. And all that is bad will become untrue. And he will right all wrongs and make all things right. And he's been preparing this gift since the creation of the world. Well, Who's part of that kingdom? Who's a child of God? How do you identify them? Well, Jesus says this, verse 35, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Jesus says that his followers will be revealed by what they did for him. Jesus says, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was in prison and you came to visit me, Jesus says. Now, the followers of Jesus, the believers, the righteous, they don't remember this. They, they almost have this kind of spiritual amnesia. They're not, they're not thinking about it. They're not keeping score. They, they don't remember. This is what they say. Uh, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or feeding and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? They said, we don't remember seeing you, Jesus. We don't remember you being the one that we fed. We don't remember doing this to you. It's like they weren't keeping score. They weren't thinking about it. They weren't analyzing what they were doing. And Jesus explains why, their motivation. He says, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. The believers, they they do all these things for Jesus. They've been so overwhelmed by God's love for them, by God's acceptance, that they're motivated by that love to serve. And every time they serve in Jesus' name, motivated by his love, they did it for him. 
And Jesus sees that. He sees it better than we do. We can't see into people's hearts, but Jesus sees it. And maybe I could say it this way. You know, if I had a flashlight and I'm in a dark room, that flashlight looks pretty powerful, looks pretty special, looks like something. But I take that same flashlight, no matter how powerful that flashlight is, and I walk out on a sunny day in the middle of July at noon and I start shining that flashlight and it doesn't seem like much anymore, right? It's not even something to look at anymore. And that's what it's like for a believer. A believer, week after week, we, we gather here and we receive the forgiveness of sins as we confess our sins at the beginning of the service. Week after week, we read God's word and hear how Jesus loved you, lived for you, died for you, rose for you. Here we, we come and we take the Lord's Supper and it's confirmed again that he did this for you. He, he broke his body for you. He poured out his blood for you and you receive that and we're blown away by it. It's like stepping into the sun. And when you get so overwhelmed by the, the presence of God, the light of God, the acceptance of God, the goodness of God, the little things that we do don't seem so impressive anymore. They don't seem like something to think about anymore to bring attention to because we're so focused on the light of the sun and the goodness of the sun, the son of God. I pray that you would continue to receive that good news. I pray that you would continue to walk and step in the light of the sun. What about those on his left? Jesus goes on, he explains what happens to the wicked. He says, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So there is a real hell. Hell is a real place and God created it. God created hell. Why did he create it? And who did he create it for? Uh, earlier when he was talking about the righteous, he said that God has prepared a place For the righteous, he's prepared this inheritance, prepared this blessing. He's prepared good things. And now it says the same thing. He's prepared a place, hell, a real place. He's prepared it for whom? The devil and his angels. You see, there is a real devil. I think in in our modern world, sometimes we we, we say that all of our problems are are because of maybe mental illness or or maladjustment or, or a bad upbringing. And those things are true. But behind every wickedness, every sin, everything that's corrupt in our world, behind it all is a real devil. There's no other way to explain it. There is a real author of evil. There's a real father of lies. And that's real. And and his wickedness, his father of lies, is the author of evil, God is so good that he, when he's preparing a place to put him so that in the renewed world, when, when heaven and earth come together, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or shame because there will be no more devil. There will be no more darkness. And that's because God's good. That's why he made that place. That's why he made hell, because God is good. And if he wasn't going to deal with the devil and kick the devil out, then it wouldn't be heaven. Then it wouldn't be a renewed world. Then it wouldn't be good. Unfortunately, There's something inside of our hearts that that for many people, they have aligned themselves with that wickedness. They've hardened their hearts to the goodness of God and his forgiveness and his love. And they don't want anything to do with Jesus. And so finally, God says, have it your way. 
And, and how can Jesus identify those who've, who've rejected the love of God? He says, For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me. And I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. Jesus says, I needed something to eat, and you didn't give it to me. I, I was thirsty, and you didn't give me something to drink. I was cold, and, and you, didn't, you did not give me clothes. I was, I was in prison, Jesus says, and you did not come and visit me. And they respond similar to the righteous. They, they, they said, they will, answer, they will also answer, Lord, when? Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? We were doing all sorts of good things. We were, we were volunteering and we were giving to charity. We were trying to be good citizens in our community. And, and we didn't see you, Jesus. We didn't, we didn't see you any of these places. When were you there? We were out there serving, doing good things. But you weren't there, Jesus. I didn't see you. So Jesus replies, he replied, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. See, Jesus can see the motives of the heart. And the Bible says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. You see, if you're not walking in the light of God's presence, well, then you're like that person who only lives in the darkness with that flashlight. You think it's all about you? It's all, you're, you're the author of all that's good in your life. You're the one doing all the work. It's all about your own glory. It's all about you. And you know what that's called? Pride, selfishness, self-righteousness, whatever you call it. And, and, and Jesus can see past the outward exterior, what, what, what you, what's going on in the outside. He can see past that and can look into your heart and knows exactly what's actually going on in your heart. And like I said before, that's good news because, man, we get it wrong so often. So why is this important? Why is it good that God is the judge, that there is a real judgment day? I know today it's not very popular, especially in the West, to believe that God is going to be the judge, that God is going to separate people in two, in two groups. In fact, like I said, we, we've kind of neglected this and kind of dethroned God from his judgment seat at least for the last 10 years, maybe more. And has it helped? No. Because here's the problem. If you dethrone God out of the judgment seat, who's next in line? We are. And so we think that we need to right all wrongs now, that we need to get vengeance now, that we need to judge everybody and make everybody pay for what they did now. And out of that has come things like our cancel culture. Out of things like that have come the things that we need to bring justice now. It's all up to us. There's no God to bring the final judgment, so I need to be the judge. So we thought we were doing something gracious by, by not having final judgment, by not having hell but it's actually turned it into a hell on earth because we are horrible judges of character. We don't know what's going on in people's hearts. We get it wrong. There's a, a theologian, I, I 
sure I won't say his name correctly, uh, from Yale. Uh, he's a Croatian, and he saw all of the violence in the Balkans and, and all the things that, all the horrible violence that went on there. And this is what he says. He says, the only means of prohibiting all recourse of violence by ourselves, in other words, the only way to stop violence is to insist that violence is legitimate only when it comes from God. So I don't need to be violent because God is the one who's going to judge. My thesis that the practice of nonviolence, that I'm not going to be violent, requires a belief in divine vengeance, will be unpopular with many in the West. So this is going to be an unpopular teaching, but... It takes the quiet of a suburban home for the birth of the thesis that human nonviolence results in the belief of God's refusal to judge. In a sun-scorched land soaked in the blood of the innocent, it will invariably die with other pleasant captivities of the liberal mind. So what he's saying here is, It's only in our quiet little homes for a moment that we can theorize that if we just got rid of hell, then everything is going to be okay, that that's going to promote love. But he says, when you actually see what happens, if I don't believe that God is going to bring judgment and that he's a good judge and he will separate people accurately and faithfully, then I think it's all riding on me and actually creates more violence, not less. And so that brings us to answer our opening question. Why is it good for us to believe in God's final judgment, even hell? And here's the answer. Because Jesus is the good and final judge, you don't have to be. Because Jesus is the judge, you don't have to be. You don't have to go around trying to figure out everybody's motives. You don't have to go around figuring out who, who's right, who's wrong, and try to bring to everyone to justice. Do what you can, Leave it to the state as much as they can, but you don't have to mediate judgment and judge what everybody's doing all the time. And if you're not walking around judging everybody, what does that free you to do? To love. In fact, Paul says it better than than I could. He puts this all together um, as as Paul is thinking about Jesus' final judgment, that Jesus is going to come back to judge the living and the dead, he makes this beautiful application. This is in Romans chapter 12. He puts this all together. He says this. Love must be sincere. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with Everyone, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Sounds like Jesus here, doesn't it? If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. Because Jesus is the judge you don't have to be. Jesus sees into your heart. He knows who you are. He knows who other people are. He sees what's really going on. He's judging people's character. He knows what your faith is. He knows, and so you don't need to be the judge. And that frees you to love. 
Jesus is the good judge. That means that, that everyone who comes to him in repentance and says, forgive me, I have sinned against you, you walk away justified before Jesus. But if you just put on the show on the outside, well, prepare to meet your maker. I know it's, it's trendy to do away with things like God's judgment. And, and I know that seems like it'll be helpful here in, in, in a somewhat peaceful society, but it's, it's not working. I know Rob Bell and, and his theology is, is spreading like wildfire and it seems uh, to be a good idea at first, but look at the result. The more we believe that it's up to us to judge everybody, the more we create more violence, the more we create more judgmentalism, the more we think that we got to take up God's role. Instead, let Jesus be the judge so you don't have to be. Do not be overcome by all the evil in this world, but overcome all that evil with good. And when you do, that's when love wins. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you as, as sinners and we ask that you would remember us, that you would forgive us, that you would accept our repentance. And, and Lord Jesus, we want to step into the light of your forgiveness, of your acceptance. Overwhelm us by your goodness and your, your love and your forgiveness so that we forget about ourselves altogether and we walk in the light of that love. And then Lord God, lead us to not be overwhelmed by judgmentalism, to not be overwhelmed by evil, but overcome evil with good. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.